The following audio is from The Springs Church. More information about The Springs Church is available at thesprings.cc. Well, good morning, Springs Church. Welcome to all of you who are members here. Welcome to all you who are visitors, to those of you who are joining us online. Welcome, and may the grace and the peace of our Lord Jesus Christ be upon you this morning. We are a church that is being transformed into the image of Christ so that anyone can find their way to God. We do that through three ways, through gathering together in the name of the Father, like we do this morning, through growing into the image of the Son, like we do through small groups and other discipleship things that we do. And the third is that we go by the power of the Holy Spirit. And this year is our year of go. And our sermon series that Brett kicked us off with two weeks ago is your story, Scripture and the mission of God. Now, I want to say this. Scripture tells us what God's mission is. But I want you to think about this because this is very, very important. Scripture not only tells us the mission of God. The mission of God is inspired. I'm sorry, it's Scripture. Scripture is inspired by the mission of God. In other words, Scripture is produced out of God's mission and purposes in the world. Let me put it another way. Scripture doesn't come first. God's mission comes first in the world. And we have Scripture because of God's mission. So think about Paul's letters. Paul was a missionary to the Gentiles, and all of his letters that were sent are missionary letters. In fact, that's what we call them. They're missionary letters. They're sent because Paul, who is participating in God's mission in the world, is trying to communicate that mission to others. It's inspired by that mission. You can make the argument, in fact, I don't even think it's an argument, that the whole New Testament is produced out of God's mission. So yeah, it's kind of a chicken and an egg thing. We learn about God's mission through Scripture. But I think we need to start reading Scripture through the mission of God because Scripture is produced, Scripture is written, Scripture is inspired because and out of and through God's mission and God's purposes for the world. This is God's story. It is your story. It is our story together. So, if you have your Bibles, open up to Genesis chapter 12. Whoops. This thing wakes up a little late. Genesis chapter 12, 1 through 3. The word of the Lord says this. Now, the Lord had said to Abram, go from your country, your people, and your father's household to a land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation. And I will bless you. And I will make your name great. And you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you. And whoever curses you, I will curse. And all people on earth will be blessed through you. Let's pray. 
God, we give you thanks as always for your word, for your story, for your purpose, for your mission. We want your story to be our story. And so as we give you thanks and as we come to your story this morning, we pray for ears to hear. We pray for hearts to follow. We pray for lives and bodies that will obey. And God, I ask for the gift of preaching. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen. Every year, Kim and I, my wife, we celebrate our anniversary. And we celebrate our anniversary. We celebrate the the anniversary of our wedding. So every December 13th, we celebrate together. But what's interesting is that when people want to know something about our relationship, when they want to know something about our marriage and our relationship, never, ever once has anyone asked me, so tell me about your wedding. Have you ever asked anybody that question? No, Jeremiah, no. Why would you even ask that question to begin with? Because if you want to know something about someone's relationship, you don't start with their wedding. You probably don't even ask about their wedding. In fact, the only thing, I remember some things from our wedding, but if, but if you're like me, you probably don't remember many things from your wedding. I mean, it's a crazy time, you're nervous, there's all this pomp and circumstance. I mean, I remember my wedding, I remember how I felt at the wedding, but I don't remember my vows, all of them. Don't tell my wife that. (laughs) But you know what I mean. I do remember this, that when it came time for Kim to put the ring on my finger, I gave her the wrong hand. And she didn't notice The preacher did notice, but he just went and kept on going. So she put the ring on my right finger, and it didn't really fit my right finger. I could not get that ring off. But that's what we remember, right? We remember stuff like that about our wedding. But if I'm going to ask you about your relationship, I don't start by asking, tell me about your wedding. I begin by asking the question, How did you two meet? Because if you want to learn about someone's relationship, you start at the beginning. So if we ask the question, we want to know more about God's mission in the world. We're tempted to start in several places. We're very tempted to start at the birth of Jesus, which is a decent place to start if you're going to ask about God's mission in the world. But even Scripture gives us a lot of background and context before we ever get to the birth of Jesus. If you grew up in Churches of Christ, we're very tempted to start in Acts 2, at the birth of the church. Some of you are giggling and laughing. Some of you have no idea what I'm talking about. But if you grew up in Churches of Christ, we're tempted to start with the question, or if we want to ask about God's mission, we're tempted to go to Acts 2, when God's mission starts through his church. But the only problem with that is, is that there's a lot of things that happened before. In fact, primarily the life, the the birth, life, death, and resurrection of Jesus 
which gives it all context for the day of Pentecost when many people were baptized that day. We're also tempted maybe even to start with Jesus' death and resurrection. Now, that for sure is something we should talk about. But that's the climax of the story. That's not the beginning of the story. It's the climax. And so, like any good story, we want to ask the question, how did this all begin? Well, the way Hollywood answers these questions when it has epic stories is that it'll tell you the story, maybe even the climax of the story, but then, like any good epic, they want to go back and do a prequel. So I ask, I ask my kids, what's one of your favorite movies and the prequel to that? So what they came up with, let me see if I can get this to, to go. One of their favorite series is Harry Potter. All right, we don't usually do this, but let's do a little uh, 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 question and answer. Anybody know the prequels to the Harry Potter series? Just say, shout it out. Fantastic Beast, thank you very much. All right. So the Fantastic Beast, which I think there's a trilogy I don't know much about, but it gives a bit of a background into the, the, the wizarding world, right, the magical world. Here's another one that some of you may recognize. Lord of the Rings. Whoops. This is trouble. I know the answer now. Everybody together. Lord of the Rings. What's the prequel to the Lord of the Rings? The Hobbit. Thank you very much. Now, for some of you, The Hobbit, you read the books. You're like, that. Well, I read that before. But if you watch the movies... The Lord of the Rings comes out first, and then The Hobbit comes out as a prequel, which kind of explains a lot of this world that you enter into, maybe even where the ring came from, how the ring end up, ended up in uh, Bilbo Baggins' hands. Here's another one. I'll let you guys do the slide because I keep messing it up. This is the old poster. I almost went with the newer poster, but this is the old one, Star Wars. Right, it begins with the new hope. And then you have the prequel, which is episode one, two, and three. No, 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 don't, no, 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 no. I know those movies. You don't like those movies. I don't appreciate them. But here's what they do, right? You enter into the new hope, that first Star Wars movie with Darth Vader just existing and Luke and Leia. But episodes one through three, they tell you where Darth Vader came from. They tell you the problem that developed and how it developed. And they tell you about Luke and Leia. Well, when we get to this story, God's story, when we get to the story of Abraham, there's a bit of a, a prequel that happens in chapters, uh, chapters 11, I'm sorry, chapters 3 through 11. And it begins something like this, okay? You have this story at the beginning, which Brett talked about, of Adam and Eve. And there's always an action that occurs. And the action of Adam and Eve is that they eat. This is how the story begins. And the consequence 
is that they're banished from the garden. They're, they're exiled from the garden. But here's the grace. There's always a grace in these stories, is that once they eat, God recognizes, they recognize that they're, they're naked. And so one of the first things God does is he clothes them. He gives them clothes to wear. So the next time, there's a clothing drive. No, I'm serious. This is one of the first acts of God after what we call the fall is that he clothes them, gives them clothes. It's a grace of God. But then we go to the next story in chapter four. You have Cain and Abel, and then there's jealousy there. And so what happens in this story, I mean, the story just ramps up really quick because we go from Adam and Eve eating to murder, dun, dun, dun. I mean, the story just ramps up really quick. And so the consequence to this is that Cain is banished. He's exiled. He's scattered. He's sent away. And he looks over and he says, but God, but what about all those people? They don't know me. If I show up, they're going to kill me, which is ironic because that's just what he did to his own brother. And I know what you're asking. You're thinking, wait, Cain and Abel, they're the sons of Adam and Eve, the firstborn. Who are all these people that are out there? You ever thought about that question? Hey, that's a decent question. But here's my answer to your question. The Bible does not care about your question. It just doesn't care. It kind of looks and goes, wait, you're missing the point. I don't care about that. You're missing the point that Cain kills Abel, and then he's afraid someone's going to kill him. So what does God do? He protects. That's the grace. And then you get to the story of Noah and humanity. And by this time, it's gone from eating to murder to everything they think about and want is evil. So what does God do? He floods the entire earth. And this is what he's doing, because if you remember in Genesis chapter 1, that it began this way, that the earth was formless and void, and the Spirit of God hovered over the waters. Do you see that image, that the whole, whatever the earth was, was this watery mass? And so it shouldn't be lost on you that when God floods the earth, do you know what he's doing? Do you recognize what he's doing? He's starting He's like, I've had it. I'm done. Let's start it all over. But then this amazing thing happens. Then in 6 through 9, at the end of this story, God looks back on what he does and floods the whole earth. And God actually changes his mind. He says, never again. I'm never going to do that again. It's a weird thing to think about. And some of you want to debate, no, God doesn't change. He changes his mind. Go read the story. 
and be thankful that he changes his mind. Because every time you see that rainbow in the sky, you thank God that he has changed his mind about the world. And one thing that we learn from the story of Noah and the flood is this. The flood tells us that sin cannot be solved. The problem of sin cannot be solved by punishment. No. No amount of punishment can solve the problem of sin. And I think it's at the story of Noah and the flood that he realizes, yeah, that's the case. And so God's grace is this. It's his grace of of Noah and their family. And they're told, just as they were in chapter 1, they're told in chapter 9 to go be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth. This is God's command. And by the time you get to chapter 11, you have kind of all humanity, all of the descendants of Noah that gather around and they want to build this tower and they want to make a name for themselves. And in fact, this is an idea about, man, if we scatter, we're going to be isolated and potentially at risk and vulnerable. And so let's protect ourselves and let's build this tower And actually, it goes against what God wants because God has told them in chapter 1 to Adam and Eve and in chapter 9 to be fruitful and multiply and scatter and fill the earth. This is what he's told them to do. And so God, I don't know if so much is as a punishment, but in order to fulfill that command, he confuses their languages and they scatter. This is the Bible's way of telling us about how we get all the different people and languages and cultures throughout the world. But what's interesting is this, is that you go through, you always have these characters and this action and this consequence and then this grace. So you have Adam and Eve, they ate, they're banished from the garden, God blesses them with clothes. Cain and Abel, Uh, Cain murders Abel, they're banished from the land or exiled, he gives Cain a mark of protection. No inhumanity, their whole hearts were evil, they're exiled from the earth, they're banished from the earth in the flood, and God gives this grace of Noah. Then you come to chapter 11. So you see this recurring pattern happening over and over and over again. But what's interesting is that by the time you get to chapter 11, you have the characters of humanity They want to make a name for themselves and protect themselves. They try to build a tower. And so the consequence is they're confused, that God confuses their languages, and he scatters them. But the question becomes, what's the grace? And then in chapter 12, immediately after the story, we get this story. Now the Lord had said to Abram, Go from your country, your people, and your father's household to the land I will show you. I will make you into a great nation, and I will bless you. I will make your name great, and you will be a blessing. I will bless those who bless you, and whoever curses you, I will curse. But know this, all people on earth will be blessed through you. In the midst of what Scripture calls the curse, and the curse just keeps getting worse and worse and worse, in the midst of sin and death, in the midst of jealousy, of lies, of violence, of confusion, 
in the midst of all of these broken icons, which Brett talked about, all of these images of God, this humanity who is the image of God to represent God and all his glory, all these broken imagers, images, all these broken icons. In the midst of all this, in chapter 12, God takes an elderly, childless couple and sends them on a mission away from who they know and what they know into an unknown future. In this future, it calls for two things. It calls for faith and obedience. And the future is not earned. Our future and Abram's future is not earned through faith and obedience. But the future is a promise. And the response to a promise is to believe and live into it. I talked about my wedding earlier with Kim. When Kim made those vows to me, when she promised me, There's no way I can earn that. The only appropriate response to that promise is to believe her and then to fully live into that promise. So when God promises Abram, Abram goes, he calls him to walk into this unknown future. He gives him this mission to walk into something that is unknown and unsure, and he gives him this promise. And his promise is to be believed obey and this promise this promise to Abram is good news the good news is that God will bless all people through Abram through Abraham and his descendants that's the good news Genesis 12 is the beginning of the rest of the story. Chapters 1 through 11 is the prequel. Genesis 12 is the beginning of the rest of the story. Because we know Abraham's descendants lead all the way to Jesus, and Jesus is the central figure in God's story who blesses the entire world. That's why we gather this morning. Because we know and believe that Jesus, when we eat that bread and drink that wine, when we gather here and sing his praises, we do this because we know he is the central figure of God's story and he is the blessing to the entire world. Not only to you and to I, but to all creation. Jesus is God's blessing. But Jesus is not the only descendant of Abraham. All of you probably know this song if you were in Sunday school at all. Remember the song? Father Abraham had many sons, and many sons had Father Abraham. I am one of them, and so are you. So let's all praise the Lord right on, Father Abraham. Come on, you are not participating. This is not cool. Thank you. One of them, and so are you. 
So let's all praise the Lord. And then you go to left hand. R yeah, right. Like, yeah, you know it. Jeremiah, what is it? Your right foot, left foot. You take over your head. You turn around. And then my favorite is tongue out. And then it's on. That's your favorite, isn't it? That's my favorite, too. Jesus is a descendant of Abraham. But if you are in Jesus Christ, you're a descendant of Abraham. That's what Scripture teaches. You are a descendant of Abraham if you're in Jesus Christ. And so God will bless... God will bless all people through Christ and his followers. If you're in Christ, you are a descendant of Abraham, and you are blessed to be a blessing. The promise to Abraham is that he is going to bless him, that he is blessed to be a blessing. And so if you are a son or daughter of Abraham, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ, you are blessed. You are blessed. And you are blessed to be a blessing. I don't know if you noticed, but the word blessing or blessed or, 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 or blessed occurs five times in those three verses. Five times is the central word in that whole section. This week I spent quite a bit of time with the shoemakers. And I was thinking about this text and I asked Judah, shoemaker's nine. I said, Judah, what does it mean that you're blessed to be a blessing? We were actually on a long hike and I was walking in front of him and he was behind. So I said, Judah, what does it mean? What do you think it means? that you're blessed to be a blessing. And all I heard was this voice, I have no idea. <laughs> Fair enough. I don't think I knew what that meant when I was nine. I wonder if we know what that means now, when I'm 46. So I ask uh, his older brother, Abe, I go, Abe, what do you think? What do you think it means that you're blessed to be a blessing? He says, uh, does it mean like to be an influencer? And I was like, yeah, that's pretty good. And then I thought, wait a minute. Is he thinking like a social media influencer? Like what is going on here? So that's not bad to be an influencer. What it means in Scripture is this. It comes out of the whole creation narrative, really, is that to be a blessing is to Give life. It means something like fruitfulness or abundance or fullness. To have a blessing is to have fruitfulness, abundance, or fullness in life. It's life as God intends it to be. So Brett talked about this a few weeks ago. It's appropriate we do baby blessings, and we call them baby blessings. Because children are a blessing. They're fruitful. 
They give an abundance to us. They fulfill our, our lives. They're a lot of work, to be sure. But that's how we know there's hope in the future. Is that there's children around. To be a blessing is, is a gift. To be blessed is to receive a gift. It's to receive grace. It's the stuff that makes life full and meaningful and worth living. And so in Genesis 1, God creates. He forms the earth and then he fills it with fruitfulness, abundance, and fullness. Everything you need for life, he's done. But it also has a second meaning, and I think it's appropriate when we get this out of Scripture, that blessing is this idea of rest within creation in a holy and harmonious relationship with God. It's this rest that exists, there's harmony between the creation and the creator between creation and itself and between creation and God. And we see this because God not only forms and fills, he not only creates and gives life and it's fruitful and abundant, but then on the seventh day, what does he do? He rests. And at the end of creation, he says, this is very good. And he rests. And there's rest within creation and holy and harmonious relationship with God. God blesses creation and the result of that blessing is rest. It's the same word that we have, that we heard about. It's shalom. It's well-being. It is shalom with God, well-being with God and with others. This is how the rest of the story begins. This is the gospel. God's blessing for the world. And fruitfulness and abundance and fulfillment in life and rest. A harmonious relationship between each other and with God. You and I are blessed to be a blessing. There's nothing else I want you to know today. I want you to leave with this, that you are blessed to be a blessing. In fact, this is how Jesus lives his life. He was blessed and he was a blessing. And I think it's appropriate, instead of me giving you examples about what a blessing is, or stories. I want you, I want to challenge you to think about these questions. How has God blessed you? This is your challenge. Right now and this week, write it down, meditate on it, think about it. How has God blessed you? How has God given you abundance and fulfillment? How has your life been fruitful? In what ways is your life full? How has God blessed you? In what ways is there rest in relationships and harmony? Jesus makes life full for people. He turns water into wine. He does all kinds of 
things to make life full. And he also provides rest. He forgives and he reconciles. He makes things, relationships right. And if you're having a hard time thinking about this, then maybe here's a question. And it's a question actually that Rick Geyer has been asking me for a long time. He says, we should be asking this question, and it's kind of set on my heart, and I think it's true. I think it's a question for this church, is that if we didn't exist, who would miss us? If we just stopped being a church, how would the community, what would they miss? It's a good question. And it's not a question to make us feel guilty. I actually think they would miss a lot. But what would we want them to miss if we didn't exist? In what ways are we blessing our community? Because we're blessed to be a blessing. And then for you, what about your circles of influence? What about your communities? If you weren't around, what would people miss? What blessings would they miss? Jesus Christ is God's blessing. Jesus Christ is God's blessing to the entire world. He provides life, rest, God and with us. He mends relationships. He provides bread to the hungry and clothing to the naked. He provides peace to those who need peace. He gives words of encouragement. He gives, he serves, he shares. But if you're a follower of Jesus, you also know that he makes relationships right. Not easy, but right. And he begins with the relationship between you and him and you and God the Father and you and the Spirit because he forgives. He reconciles. He opens up his arms to each one of us and he offers hospitality. How are you blessing people in those ways? What ways are you serving and giving and encouraging? What ways are you healing and forgiving and reconciling? What ways are you showing hospitality to people in your neighborhood, at your workplace, in your community? You are blessed to be a blessing. And our vision here at this church is this. We are followers, we are a community of followers of Christ who are being transformed into the icon, into the image of Christ. In other words, we're being transformed, we're being blessed to be a blessing so that anyone in the entire world can find their way back to God. This is God's story. This is our story. This is your story. Let's stand.